is what God put on my heart to do today, 5.14 p.m. on a random Wednesday. And I thought, well, first I should explain a little bit about who I am and maybe why God wants me to start a podcast. So, (laughs) yeah. My name is Kim. I am a Christian. I found Christ when I was, well, Christ found me when I was young. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I grew up in a rock and roll family. Ironically, uh, it was like every Roman Catholic kid who wanted a rock and roll parent and (laughs) my rock and roll parents (laughs) randomly got a Christian kid. Yeah, I grew up with my friends taking me to church and God speaking to me in a dream when I was 13 years old. And one of my friend's mother said, why don't you ask God for a dream? And that was right after we were coming home from a heaven or hell play that was really like in your face with the devil and the angels. I forgot what it's called. So we were coming home from that and I was just frustrated because I'm just like, okay, like I don't know where I stand with this. I didn't grow up in a stable environment. It was always very loud. And the youngest I was three, we already had cops because my parents would either be fighting or they would have people who were their friends over and they got drunk and they were fighting and uh, or whatever it may be. It's always been very loud around me. I learned to adapt very quickly. I took everything for what it was at face value. Even though I wanted to believe in Santa Claus, you know, I I couldn't even as a young kid because, uh, you know, my mom fell asleep one Christmas and said, oops, I forgot to put your presents under the tree. I think I was like five, which is fine. But like looking back, I think I only got a little bit upset because I had been through so many disappointments already by that age that it didn't even kind of just grazed my shoulders and just rolled off right in my back. And from that point on, I I wasn't like a little kid. I would say I was more like an adult in a kid's body. And it was very hard for me to believe that God existed and God kept bringing friends into my life when I was very bullied in elementary school. I would get attacked verbally a lot when I was a kid. I'm 26 years old right now. I was born in 1996. So I kind of missed that. When I was growing up, there was no like technology. Like I didn't get a phone until sixth grade because there wasn't any types of phones out besides like the Blackberry I think, like the BBM or AOL or AIM. So I wasn't thinking about what I looked like when I was in fifth grade or fourth grade. I was just eating what I wanted. And, you know, I I would just eat like a kid. And I was definitely like a chubby kid. But because of that, I would get bullied. When God would bring me friends, the friends wound up being Christian and... I clung to them because I didn't really have a support system. You know, I didn't have anyone looking out for me in a sense, or I didn't have anyone. I was lonely. 
even in elementary school, I just kept thinking on the swing, like, what is my purpose here? Like, this is dumb. Because I couldn't really see a purpose in that loneliness, especially. I'm like, like someone ripped the veil over my eyes. Like, a realist is the word that I was trying to find before. I was a realist. And so I went to these churches <laughs> and stuck by these families that had very different households than me. You know, they were family-centered or their values were just very close to them and friends themselves were very kind and sweet and funny and caring and they became my best friends. And so it was really important that I at least try and see if God was real and not just blow it off as something because I really loved these friends, especially because of their character that they had already shown in such a young age. I could tell they were kind and loyal and really encompassed the light of God, which I wouldn't have phrased like that because I wouldn't have known how to communicate that. But yeah, they really wound up being the light, which pointed back to God's light. And so the mother in the car my friend's mom said, why don't you ask God for a dream? And I laughed it off. <laughs> yeah, I'll just ask God for a dream. As if, as if it would be so simple. I just ask God for a dream. I remember thinking that. Just, I mean, instead of watching cartoons, my parents would put on like Two and a Half Men and Dink Cook. And <laughs> I would watch cartoons sometimes, but it was unmonitored like they would leave the remote in my hand which honestly was horrible looking back at how I was exposed to different tv and movies before a good age to even expose a child to that stuff I get in my room and I'm like okay yeah right I'll just ask you for a gift God and I looked up I remember thinking at this point I had a bible but I wasn't really in it. I like got it from a friend and I was just, ah, thank you. <laughs> kind of weird, but okay, like I'll give it a chance. And my humor, oh, that's what I was trying to say. My humor was very developed in sarcasm and realism and well, there was no imagination left, kind of. I was just left with the ugly truths of life but try to stay as kind and loving as possible to everyone around me just because I had really had a heart for people I loved people I remember loving even my bullies which is like a refraction of light of God he made me in his image so I look up at God and I mock him <laughs> if you're real give me a dream then there was silence I want to believe in Superman, but I know he's just a guy who puts on a cape in wardrobe and no, there, there is no such thing. Like, <laughs> I know there's no tooth fairy. I know there's no whatever. It's just, but I truly asked God in that moment, if you're real, even though I was mocking him, please give me a dream, right? So I went to sleep that night. <laughs> Lo and behold, I got, I got one. And I believe it was 
the most, yeah, it was the most vivid thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Still, I look back and it was more real than anything compared to even <laughs> the reality of what we're living in now. It was so tangible and known in my bones when I was having this dream. I can't explain it. I almost stepped into my full self. God really showed me what the spirit realm of heaven would look like, how you would feel. And I remember everything, the saturation. So I was on a green mountain and it looked like we were so close to space. I remember thinking, and I just looked at the ground and it was just so bright green. The saturation was like all the way up, like, and it was sparkling, but it was also just so crisp. Like, I don't, I just, it was like words can't describe. And the the air was like, you know, when you're like getting ready for school and it's a field trip in the morning, that was like the air, like, it was just like you could taste the sweetness of God in the air and there were stars against this really dark sky and we were so close to them and I was surrounded. I looked to my left and my right. I was surrounded with people and they were worshiping and praising and it was almost like I had earplugs in kind of, like I was there, but I wasn't listening to what they were saying because I was watching what was happening and the stars started to spell out words. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of like insane. I remember thinking in the dream, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? And I wasn't even watching anything that could have like replicated this. I wasn't watching those fantasy sci-fi films yet, you know, I eventually did, but this was something I could not have thought of myself or was even close to the interests that I even had, you know, and so the stars were just sparkling and it started shuffling through almost like, I don't know, it was like the game Boggle almost, but with the stars in the sky. And it spelled out, the Lord is the light and the light is the Lord. And I would, I read it over and over again because it started to scroll. The words of the Bible were like a scroll in the sky. I had not really picked up my Bible, but I knew somehow by God's power in this dream that those were the words of the Bible and that God was revealing himself to me and to pay very close attention. And he like zoomed in my vision into that sight that the light is the Lord and the Lord is the light. And so I remember my mom being next to me and like we all, all of us, it, it probably was like a hundred thousand on this like green mountain. It just kept going. Right. And I remember like we all like, grabbed each other's hands, like I grabbed my mom's hand and we did like a high school musical jump, like into the end. That was like the end of the dream. Like we jumped and like midair, like I woke up and my full body was just in 
uh, it's just it was it was Holy Spirit taking over and it was God's spirit and presence fully manifesting into itself. I was shaking uncontrollably. Tears were down my face. I wasn't even sad. I just, I felt the spirit of God pour over me. And it was like, I felt like stars were like in me. Like, I just felt like, I don't even know. I just... I felt, yeah, I felt the fire of God, the presence of God lay upon me. And I just started weeping with like, oh my gosh. Like it was just like the most random cry. I've never cried like that ever again after. Um, but it was the most random cry. It wasn't sadness. It wasn't like I was scared. It wasn't like I was happy even. It was like, oh, it was like revealed, like, it was like I was sobbing because of the revelation that had just come upon me. My body couldn't even catch up, you know, it was trying to catch up to what had just even transpired. And he definitely was a uh, miracle working, like a way maker working and showing up in this moment. And he said, I heard a voice. I've never heard a voice before that. I was 13, right? And he said, I want you to go grab your Bible. I was like, okay. Well, first I actually said, I want to know how do I accept you, God? Like I wasn't paying close enough attention in church or what my friends, like I never had sought an actual relationship because I didn't think he was real um, until I mocked him and asked him and he actually showed up and met me where I was at in my dream and in my bed and at 3 a.m. in the morning while I'm gra grabbing my Bible, he said, go and grab your Bible. And I opened the Bible and it was Romans, I believe it was 10, oh gosh, I gotta look it up, hold on. I don't wanna mess it up. I should have this memorized. Don't beat me up in the comments or whatever. Um, it's like believe in my heart and <laughs> okay yeah Romans 10 9 oh I wasn't that far off yay <laughs> sorry like I could quote scripture like randomly but not when I'm trying just very unfortunate, um, but it's okay. God comes through our tongues anyway when we ask him to speak. So it's Romans 10, 9. It opened to this exact page. And before this, mind you, I said, God, how do I accept you? I could have landed on any page in this Bible. I remember feeling it and like, my thumb literally like went to a certain, like it was just like Holy Spirit possessing me in a, like the most beautiful way, not creepy way. And I opened it and it was just so clearly the first sentence I read was, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I knew enough from church that I had been to, at least from the youth groups that I had attended and the, you know, friendships that I had formed, I knew bits and pieces. So I, I knew what sin meant. I knew at least the brokenness that it had. And I fully didn't even question if humanity was sinful or not because I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that this was God, that this was the answer, that he answered me, and that I didn't even think twice. I was like, yes. I said, God, I'm so sorry for my sins. I'm so sorry for humanity's sins. I'm so sorry that your own people betrayed you. I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry that they put you on a cross even when you came down to like be one and I'm so sorry that you had to take sin and, you know, us and resurrect so that we can breathe life with you again in eternity. And just, I had just an overwhelming amount of, I guess, come into was like, Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God, you know, you raised him from the dead and saved with you and followed by that came a lot of questions I did start reading further after I had cried out I um shocked and remorseful for even mocking him uh but guilt like I I've my own heart I know his heart was tender to me but it was as if I couldn't get over the fact that I had said what I said about how I said it. And I was always very hard on myself because if I didn't act correctly, I learned from a very young age, this is going to sound so because my heart was always very empathetic and warm and sensitive, right? Um, but I also knew intelligently um, back then, but I could name it now that I was always acting very correctly and good and got good grades because if I didn't, I wouldn't get the love or attention that I needed. And I so desperately needed it that um, wander away from good. Um, and because we, you know, as children survive and it's not like I knew it back then, but as I look back, I can say with confidence I think at that point, I being good, not because I was a perfect little angel and born that way. Um, I had so much lack of love that I knew what it felt like to hurt somebody like that. And so I tried to give love to as many people as possible and love through my works, which I, you know, later found out grace, uh, our righteous acts are like dirty, filthy rags, and we are saved by grace um, and faith. And I felt come into 
and felt a peace with me and I think would be a good word for it because going out without a fight, you know, I, I don't just blindly accept anything. Um, because if I'm going to accept something as true, that's a huge deal, especially when I was little, because that means I give you the permission to later use it against me or hurt me. You know, it wasn't easy for me to things and this was worth it this was real because it he came to me my testimony is that he came to me that he first loved me and john 3 16 you know he first loved me and even while we were still sinners like he died for me uh and i just remember learning about him from then on and paying so much more close attention <laughs> um just not like church because friends daughters one time invited me to a Roman Catholic church and I was Jewish my mom's Jewish um and those mothers were kind of like the PTA moms I guess uh Roman Catholic and I mean it was just very stereotypical, and they knew that my mom was Jewish, so they knew that I was Jewish. I didn't go to communion. I didn't go to sacraments or whatever that you need to do in order to religion and all of that. I didn't take classes. Uh, I wasn't baptized. I just about five years old, six years old, and I went with of my friends who were sisters and. I remember them getting up to receive and wine and to symbolize, you know, bread of life, which Jesus gave his life for us. And then the blood of Jesus is the wine. And as a like five or six year old, I looked at my friends. I'm like, what do I do? Because everyone's standing up around me and starting to walk. And I remember just so wanting to and then not like not fit in because I already felt like I didn't have a place like in my home, you know, like I just I was I was born walking to my own melody, <laughs> my own beat. Um, uh, it's like I couldn't help but and <laughs> It took me a long time to accept that, uh, that I'm not just saying it like, oh, I was the weird one. Like, no, I, <laughs> I definitely was the weird one. I belonged in each group. I had a friend in each group. I never, you know, thing that I liked, I wanted to try them all. <laughs> and so... I was five or six and uh, my friends, you know, they turn and look at me and they um, say to come on over, give me like the hand signal to come on. Like, and so I follow them and then it's my turn to take it from the priest dude. And it just feels very strange, but I'm like, okay. Like I even remember thinking like, huh, I wonder if like this is real, but also I don't fully understand what's happening. Um, 
you know, five or six is really hard age to even, you know. So anyway, I'm sitting there. I'm like just put the communion cracker. I think he put it on my in my mouth. And I thought it was really weird. And I like began chewing and then uh, was walking back and the mom, the mothers, like the whatever it was, the PTA moms or whatever, like I just remember them surrounding me and I don't know how magnified, like in my memory, why it's so magnified. I guess it was that traumatic for me that I felt so much anxiety at like that five-year-old stage because I was surrounded by adults looking up and they said spit it out and I was like what spit it out I'm like uh-huh what spit out like the bread or the cracker whatever so I'm like you want me to just like spit it out now like where do I spit it out I remember feeling so confused like like I was trying to explain myself and they like shut me up I was like, I was only going because your daughters like signaled that I can come along. Uh, and I remember like, I think I looked to like them and they were like laughing. I don't know if they were laughing because they were nervous because they were like, I didn't know because they were young too. And so the whole thing was just really tragic. And that was my first impression of God spit out the bread of life. Can you imagine? Can you like actually imagine? Like this is just such a funny start to my story. Spit it out. You know, spit out the bread of life. Spit it out. Shut up. We don't want to hear why you're eating it. Spit it out. Um we don't want to hear the reason why you took it, you know. Just spit it out and <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm a non-denominational Christian. Um, which basically means I don't pray to Mary. I don't really traditions of what Roman Catholic customs follow because I believe when Jesus came, if you closely look into the word, it is clear as to how he wishes his followers will act and love and be. And it's not like it's totally off base as to do we believe in the same thing, but there's things that I don't see the word aligning with is what I'll, I'll put that at period, right? And so to add any judgment, more judgment on the Roman Catholic Church. However, this was my first interaction with God, and it was devastating. I remember going home five or six, and I looked at my mom, and I was just like, I'm never going back again. I remember her looking at me and smiling and saying, you don't have to. Like, she was proud of me that she raised a daughter that wouldn't want to go to church. Um because, you know, she was a creative person and uh, she would, my mom would get beat up a lot for being Jewish, actually. Um, like in the great parts of Long Island and like had girls jump her because she had like curly 
hair that was um, different. Like it was just, the whole thing was just, I don't even fully like know my mom's past. I just knew that like he did not like church as much as I did not like it. When I came home, she could read it all over my face and she was happy that I wasn't going to go back. Um, so I didn't go back and then, you know, eventually I wound up going back around fourth and fifth grade to youth services, youth group, and um, maybe like a service here and there of in a non-denominational church. And then um, <laughs> I forgot to get my water. Um, but yeah, I point then had that encounter with God at 13 and my faith catapulted into how do I know about Jesus more now that I know and believe he is who he says he is I wanted it I wanted to know everything about him you know I wanted to know all of the stories and one of the first stories I learned was about Jesus talking about the man on the mat talking about healing the man and um, I just remember thinking in my head and my heart like it kind of took a full circle moment of like wow if I were to think of a modern superman it wouldn't be one that would come down and fly above us but it would be one who Wow. It would be one who would get down below and kneel and look eye to eye with someone who is a crippled man who is not so super, who is lying on a mat and it can't be a cape, right? It's this paralyzingly broken man who, you know, we are all sinners. We are all broken, but it's just such an image of it's not like Jesus came down and was this conceited uh, image of a Superman, you know, that could kind of come into mind of like flying in the sky, like not relatable. I mean, and then I hear the story of him kneeling down and healing this man saying to get up and carry your mat now. And to myself, if I were to ever think of a Superman that I would want and that I would believe in, and that I do believe in, it's Jesus. And from that point on, I was proud to call Jesus my God. He was so beyond worthy. The more and more I learned about him, the more and more I reveled and fell in love with him and cherished every moment that he showed me wonders and signs and more dreams and protected me and just miracles, wonders, was a lot of what he showed me and blessed me with because of my childhood was so, I guess the best way to say it, it was, it, it cut deep. <laughs> um, and so where it wouldn't make as much sense to show someone growing up in their faith signs and visions who grew up in a Christian household because that's what they grow up like 
listening to and you know their their innocence is protected in a way from their parents who believe in the same thing it was different it was different for me because I didn't have that it was like I was so jaded and so like beaten down in a way of in of that inner child of like he needed to bring that aspect of he knows each of our hearts he knows what we would need in order to believe him better and he shows up every single time because he so loves us because the more of god you get the more love you you feel or can fully see and believe and um i think without him meeting me in that dream at 13 and through even before that like through sending me friends that are christian and surrounding me with his presence and you know from a very young age i was kind of always getting nightmares of just like wicked looking things i remember just not you know having the best dreams and from that moment on i would get a mixture of like attacks in my dream versus like god showing up and it was just from that point on it changed and it wasn't because i was just like taking in more media of jesus it was because I had his presence with me, you know, like there was no media really. I didn't sit down and watch Joseph, the rainbow colored coat or whatever. I, I still carried on with the daily habits that my parents raised me in, which was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, think of uh, like family guy, right? Um, <laughs> nervous laughter um that we're still i was still a child like i still loved lizzie mcguire and loved the jonas brothers and loved um playing mermaids like i wasn't completely shut down in that in that kind of imagination i still had pieces that would reflect through but as for wanna, wanting to watch cartoons that are stories in the Bible, I was not there yet. I thought they were corny. I could not relate to them the way that, you know, like Veggie Tales. Like I remember, like watching them. Like, can we please turn on anything else? Like at my friend's house, and uh, you know, looking back, I know why Veggie Tales was on. I just cannot. I could not. Uh, I guess, grow that fast in that trajectory after, you know, being grown in such a different environment and being used to such blunt, dark, adult-like humor to then go to, you know, a cartoon about Moses. It was like watching paint dry for me. There was... So I wasn't looking at a whole bunch of like revelation or like 
visions of God. So when I would go into these dreams and he would show me such specific sights that I had never seen in my life, I knew that I knew that I knew that this was from God. It wasn't like, it, it wasn't even replicated because of what I was watching. And there was something so special in that, that it was so like 5D. It was just like so real and so comforting every time he would give me those things and show me um, certain attacks that were happening and show me uh, my power and my sword. And, you know, the sword is the Bible and just different things. And, you know, having friends be there and tell me, you know, about cursing and like, hey, you just probably shouldn't you know, the Bible says this, this, and this, and it really stung, but it sharpened me very quickly because I remember, I'm like, I'm not going to curse. And I would work on it, and she would, my friend would be like, nope, uh, like, can you please stop, like, blah, 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 blah. And if she would not have been in my life, I would be probably dead. Um, at least probably would still have a truck driver mouth. Um it made me think much more about communicate and how my family communicates. And even when you're in this progress of kind of growing, I, I won't say changing, um, it's more like transforming, um, kind of like a caterpillar into a butterfly. It's not like it was a process that can make the other caterpillars in my house feel very uncomfortable um, with what was going on because as I was breaking free from these sinful, you know, let's just use the example of cursing, right? Curses and my mom particularly would view this as a slap in the face to her because of that she felt like I was judging her when I would say, hey, can you stop cursing? Um, which honestly, as a young girl who was growing in her faith, I if I could go back to what I know now, I wouldn't have even said stuff like that. Um, because, you know, she's not Christian at that point. She there's no point to sharpen someone who's not Christian because it will come off as judgmental. And um, you, can't, you can't expect a bird to fly if they don't have wings, that type of thing. Like, you can't expect uh, seven. Like, there's just, it's no way that that and that equals that. So if I were to go back and change, I would realize um, to just focus on my transformation and becoming new and sharing the love of Christ through my actions rather than my words, but I was young. And I cared so deeply for my mom because at that point it was, she was like my best friend, but it was a bit difficult of a relationship because it was codependent and she leaned on me a lot of the time um, as a child because she was very childlike at times because she was not in a healthy marriage, not in the healthy, you know, her childhood wasn't great with her parents, wasn't perfect, you know, like, like 
I guess the best way to say it is like she would even call me mommy from a young age. So if you look back at like certain habits, it's like when I told my therapist that one time in I think it was college or I don't know. I think it was after college. I just remember looking at their face and like their <laughs> their mouth like dropped open and I hadn't realized it was a big deal because I thought she was just mimicking me because like if you hear mommy 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 and then she's just you know saying it back like mommy mommy but then it became an oncoming joke that like I'm like she didn't and I'm like oh but like she really did rely on me a lot as her extension of herself and putting pressure of like I am the only reason like for her happiness even at times like I was the only thing keeping her going and there's just a lot of unhealthy like she would tell me all the details about my dad and her relationship and all of it all over again and all of it all over again and she would talk about her pain constantly and it was just quite comforting and exhausting but it was she was still my mom and she was still loving and she still drove me to school and picked me up and brought me to the doctors and um made me laugh took me shopping you know she was still my best friend and I wouldn't have I seriously would not have asked for any other mom loved my mom I still love her but she passed away but um it, it, it was coming off very judgmental to her that I would say hey mom stop cursing like even as even though I kind of was like <laughs> an extension of her she didn't want to hear that she didn't want to especially if it was sounding judgmental which it was because I was too immature to really understand the complexity of what walking like Christ meant <laughs> and how to communicate in love and not put pressure to save my mom but to let God do that work in her and trust him and you know share things about my life rather than try to change her um but I looked at transforming as changing my actions because in some places you know that really that's what helped me um and that's what I was guided to do uh you know leave sin behind and so I meant every word that I was saying to her I met in love um like I had all the best the only reason I was speaking is because I loved her the only reason I would bring out and I know that because every time I would say something, she would bully me and call me, what are you, like, Mother F and Teresa? Like, I didn't raise you like this. Uh, go back to your, like, Bible, blah, 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 blah. Like, I would get, like, attacked every time I remember it was, like, the spiritual warfare. I wouldn't know those terms, but now I do. But it was definitely... Um, a level up from conviction, you know? <laughs> it was like she 
would get enraged or would feel so hurt that she would start crying and make me feel guilty by like then looking at me like in a side eye for the rest of the day. And so anytime that I did speak, I think eventually when I was 16 and I said, mom, I'm getting baptized. It's really important that you come uh, for me. And I reminded her like every day and she knows she was asleep on when I was getting baptized. And I said, mom, you have to wake up. Like I'm about to go get baptized. And she's like, oh, I'm just really tired. Like, I just want to stay asleep. I'm like, okay. Like, I would really like if you would come though. And I just like started to cry and then left and said like, I love you. Got in the car and went to go get baptized and she showed up. Um, and I had written a speech and I wanted her to hear it. I don't remember what the speech said. I just uh, basically wanted to, I wanted her to hear why I was getting baptized and who God was to me. And that this wasn't just a phase of my life, this was my whole life. And she took that personally because she wanted herself to be my whole life. Like she wanted me to have her like be number one versus God in a lot of aspects. It would insult her is the best way to say it. It would insult her every time I would say, you know, God is the only reason that I'm here or like, like God is my number one. And she's like, so you don't, you wouldn't like love me if it was me or God or blah, blah, blah. She would throw me all these questions and curveballs and uh, really pin me up against the wall uh, with certain things that she would say in response to my declarations and uh, how strong I was in stubbornly saying them. And I was stubborn in everything that I did. And if I had my mind set to something, especially if I had my mind set to something, like it would be like my everything. I had that personality trait of being obsessed with something and like completely falling in love with it, uh, whether that be like a book series or it just so happened to be the perfect lineup of like God, like actually falling for the one that you're supposed to fall for completely. And it hurt her, it hurt her. But eventually after I got baptized and she didn't completely understand, but I think from that point on, uh, she stopped with the comments. And I think at that point on as well, I stopped with my comments about her actions and we were able to reconcile parts of our, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't broken. It would just be acted, I guess, during times, like if, we were to go to the mall for an hour, you know, 20 minutes was spent in like a little debacle of <laughs> uh, whatever it be. But um, after I got baptized, we, you know, and at that time, my family really went into full swing chaos. It's always been a very chaotic home, but it took it a step further. Um, 
I don't know if God wants me to speak about exactly the details of what has happened or go into detail, but um, I will share just to wrap up, I guess, my, you know, mom part of my story and testimony. Um, if you remember, I said, like, I saw my mom beside me in that dream, the Lord is the light and the light is the Lord, right? Um, so now fast forward to, I think I was 20. Nobody hold me on this. I don't know if I was 20 or younger or whatever it was, 21, 22, 23. No, actually I wasn't, I was, I lied. I was 20, 22, 22, 20. I think I was 22, 23. I don't know. Um, a year before my mom passed, she passed in 2020. So I can't do math. I was born in 1996. <laughs> um, a year before my mom passed, I had a dream and it was from God. And basically the dream was me and my mom speaking in the kitchen and I looked out my kitchen window and saw that the sky was red, turned bright red. Um, and I was, I remember feeling scared, but shocked and like, I wasn't really reading revelations, so um, I didn't know anything about the sky turning red until I like really looked at details of like, oh, like I just remember, oh no, it was 2000, yeah, 2018, I think, yeah. Um, and so, or maybe it was 2000, sorry, I don't know, basically. <laughs> I was in the kitchen, sky turned red, and then I start floating up. And I look down and like my body is still there and my mom is glitching. That's the best way I can say it. She is fighting to cut out of, her spirit is fighting to get out of her body, right? And it looked like it was like almost like, uh, they, you know, her spirit was fighting her flesh and she couldn't uh, get out. And as I was raising up, I screamed down, mom, like, hurry up, come on. Like, you have to come. And she screamed, help, I'm stuck. Help, I'm stuck. And I woke up. I mean, if you could imagine, I had known when I woke up uh, that it was about, end times and it was raising up part I knew meant end times I didn't know about the red sky until I looked that up a bit later that it confirmed yes it was um but I woke up just sobbing just sobbing and I ran into the living room I think my mom was watching Grey's Anatomy and I made her turn it off because I was like literally I don't think I've I mean, <laughs> I've cried a lot in my life, but that was like a different type of like, because it was like so codependent, it was like my heart just got ripped out of my body. And I loved her so much, you know. We had been through so much at that point. And she had seen me in all of it. 
Like she has seen God's work in all of it and still was running from God and still wasn't really, you know, she was a bit more willing to hear. Like she would sometimes want to hear a sermon or so, but she wasn't in it, in it. She was just like, mm, it's, it's okay. Um, and so I'm sobbing and she was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I just had a dream about you and you were stuck in your body and you couldn't get out. And I was floating up and it was about end times and meeting Jesus in the air and you couldn't come and you were screaming, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And I remember her looking like me dead in the eye and just being like, does that mean I'm gonna die? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Um, maybe I just know that God told me to tell you to hurry up and put your faith in him alone. Say the words that you declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And I begged her mom, like, mom, like, I don't think there was ever a more vulnerable moment for me, like, please believe. I sat there and begged her. I was sobbing, like, outer, inner body experience. Like, if you had an answer, you know, give a child that was going to get hit by a car and they kept refusing to listen to you and you could only do anything but speak. You know, you can't grab them, you can't do anything. And it was that feeling of helplessness because I can't make you, I can't force you to believe. Like, God looks at your heart. And it was like I had to grieve knowing that I had no control of whether or not she would believe, but I needed to tell her in that moment because it felt so urgent. It felt so and for like it was coming like it could have been tomorrow I remember saying that to her I'm like I don't know what's happening but you you need to repent now you need to accept now I was sobbing like in agony and I think I don't know <laughs> I don't know if at that point like we did pray I think we did but um I think the only thing that stopped me from like crying was like her saying like okay okay like um which I don't know if she actually meant it like right then and there um which would be kind of amazing to find out in heaven <laughs> if that's when that happened but uh I did find out that you know well I won't spoil the end of the story but um so fast forward a year later um diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, um, parents and my brother smoke like, uh, hmm. at that point they were all smoking like four packs or three packs a day. It was just like heavy, heavy. And they would smoke in the garage and the garage is like extended like into the house, but had become very hurt with their smoking specifically because they would spend a lot of time in the garage. And so it was just really sad to see even my brother gravitate towards it because it's like you crave your parents 
love and affection that you would even go into their habits because that's where you could go and spend time with them. Like you are so, you don't realize how much of a role model you are when you're a parent. And so every time I would like say like, hey, do you want to watch a movie? Or like, hey, do you want to play a board game? Or hey, like not every single time, but a lot of the times they would say, no, just give me a minute. And they would be either gambling or smoking or both. And I would go into my room, turn my face, you know, close that door quickly because I would just go cry very silently in my room because I didn't, I didn't want them to know how painful it was for me to kind of feel that rejection of you would rather sit down and smoke for, you know, three hours at a time or four hours at a time. I mean, it was so much. It was so long that um, even as a child, I just remember watching the clock. Like, wow, like, you know, this is like episode four. Like, how many, how long are you going to stay in there? And just realizing that, you know, from very young that like, they don't love me enough to stop that. They don't love me enough, their child enough to stop that habit. Like that kills them ultimately. And I would get very angry and sad and stand all of them. Um, and even like my brother started smoking in the basement and then the smoke would go into my room and it would just, it would be a whole thing. And I had, you know, 16, 17, 18, I had nowhere to go. Um, and that they didn't love themselves enough to or to death. Like they didn't have a reason to live. Um, and I had the answer, I had the key. And you can't beat someone with the key over the head for them to get it. Because uh, ultimately, you know, God transforms and you just do your best being loving, patient, kind, um, selfless, you know, uh, basically the five love languages. You, you emulate these fruits of the spirit is what you call, call them. Um, and um, it's probably 17 or 18 where I really mourned the death of my mom before it even happened uh, because I realized that how much she smoked and like where she was headed. She had already been in the psych ward because she had like a nervous breakdown because of another reason of, and she wanted to like not be her in, anymore because my brother had his issues with drugs and uh, mental illness, schizophrenia and the cops and there was violence and, you know, people holding knives to people and, just people accidentally getting hurt with age and my dad's rage. And I mean, the whole thing was just <laughs> a mess. And my mom eventually like had a nervous breakdown and then she 
became infant-like and then eventually she like kind of snapped back to her regular self but it took a really long time and I like mourned my mom I remember two times it was one when I realized that she was not going to stop smoking and that she was probably going to die from it and then the other being um when she went into the psych ward and she had not sounded like herself um my world came crashing down because I was going through so much already. Um, I was away at college. Like I had gotten the lead in the play and I wanted to know what, like why my dad was picking alcohol over me. Like I wanted to experience what he was experiencing because I was so damaged and hurt from his alcoholism because um, of how it affected me and my mom and like the household and that it like came about because of it and the ambulances and the cops and it's just it was like a never ending. Um, <laughs> uh, and so got diagnosed with cancer, lung cancer, I wasn't surprised at the time of how fast it went. I was expecting lung cancer eventually, hoping not, praying against it and believing for her health and that she would live long enough, you know, um, till she was 90 or something and I would pray for it and Mostly, I would pray all the time for her salvation. And it would be heavy on my heart all the time. Pray for her salvation. Pray for her salvation. It would be over and over again. Um, for God to soften her heart and to be the best light that I could be for, you know, to be the best Jesus <laughs> example for her and to love her with all my heart and just as I love Jesus with all my heart and soul. And fast forward from college, um, and started chemo, but it didn't work. Um, and then about three weeks later, after she was diagnosed, she passed away um, February 28th, 2020. February 1st, which was my birthday, I went to a worship event and my friends nudged me and said, I think we have to go to the hospital. Holy Spirit saying to go to the hospital to go see your mom. And it was Saturday night or something. And I was just like, no, I don't want to like, I don't want to go. I don't want to see my mom in pain. Like it was like tearing me apart. I was just so... It's not that I didn't want to support her. It was just, I didn't know how to be strong for her. And I knew how much it hurt her seeing me cry. So I want to see her in pain, especially on my birthday. Like I was just trying to worship God and believe for change and pray for change in that moment, which we did. We believed and we prayed. And um, I wound up going to the hospital and... Um, 
you know, we had a conversation about God and my friend at the time prayed and asked like my mom if she believed in God and Jesus and she said yes. And we prayed with my dad in the room, my mom was in the room. Um, grateful for those friends who, you know, they should go pray. Like that was completely Holy Spirit because I really hold on to that moment that that was kind of me walking in obedience because it was the last thing I wanted to do, the very last thing I wanted to do. And I knew in my heart that if I disobeyed, I'd be disappointed in myself. Not that God would be, but that I reconcile that within myself. <laughs> um, that in God's strength and power, you know, with those two um, friends praying over my mom and like kind of uh, Moses, Aaron, and forgot the other's name, sorry. Um, but two or more or three gather and it's good to have two friends by your side. Basically, it was like, I didn't have to say anything. I just had to like agree in prayer and tell her how much I loved her. And she was so happy that I had showed up on my birthday to be with her. And she happy, um, sorry, I don't wanna get emotional. Um, got bad really quickly, her cough, she couldn't breathe. Uh, it was pretty traumatic. She couldn't shower. Um, she lost a lot of weight and I think it was February 14th. She couldn't, she couldn't get enough air. She was coughing and I was trying to keep up with my job because I knew that it made them proud for me to keep a job. So sorry, I'm crying. Woo. And so I share all of this just because I really have the heart and change, you know, to share the love of God and all the things that he has done in my life and which is every time that God met me I provided every time that I see God move in my life um especially in my weakness which shows how strong like that he is um saw her was February 14th she died on February 28th but she was you know, I gave her a book. I, I think it was like a Christian book. It was like a hundred brave devotional uh, prayer, something like, uh, it's a Christian book. It was like a prayer on being brave. And I was running out the door and my dad was like, aren't you gonna say goodbye? And I like, I walked over and like, I remember just like hugging her, kissing her goodbye, loving her and giving her the book. And I was upset. I was crying because I was like, mom, you know that I was supposed to go to work. I'm just trying to make you guys proud. And she was like, no, I know it's okay. Like um, seeing her in pain. So it was very hard for me to be a rock in that situation. Um, I think I was running from it. Um, because I was trying to be the best child that I could be and make them proud. And it was as if I couldn't do enough sometimes um, to get their approval um, and acceptance.
the mother and that side of like wanting me to be responsible and my mom definitely cared if I had a job or not it meant a lot for them for me to like be working and have all my check marks meet in all the boxes and um I'll just back up a little bit there was one encounter where I, before February 14th I was leaving for work and my mom says wait I heard her and I'm like oh what's up I'm headed to work and she said will you grab me the bible <laughs> those were words that I had never thought I would heard hear her say in that order uh, I said yes I can get you the bible I've been waiting for that day like I've been waiting for this day you know, I think I was, I looked, I looked so happy. I probably looked like I was on drugs or something. I was gleaming and <laughs> I grabbed the Bible, which I had gotten her, I think a couple of years ago or whatever, from Barnes and Noble. And I left the Bible in her hands and she like opened it. And that, that was like, I love you, love you. And I went out and then fast forward to this moment, February 14th and you know, love you. And then I looked like in her bed right before, uh, you know, the ambulance took her that she had left that book, that brave book that I had hand her, handed her February 14th um, on Valentine's Day. And I had realized that like God wanted me to have it. Fine <laughs> uh, for me and not my mom because she went into um, a medically induced coma and then passed away um yeah february 28th all this uh just to, to show you the seeds in which god had planted all this time a dream a couple of months after my mom's death <laughs> or a dream i was like a red eagle <laughs> holding something that was I don't even remember the dream completely. All I know is random. And I was on all these websites trying to interpret what the heck God was trying to say because it was one of those dreams that were vivid. And specific details in that dream, sadly, I don't remember. Maybe I wrote it down, hopefully. Um, had to do with like a red eagle and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I'm sitting in my church's office, like interning, and I come across the verse um, about rubies and um, I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> and she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Proverbs 3.15, it's talking about a wife. Um, oh, wisdom. But it's also talking about... Um, on Proverbs 31, I think. Um, I could have completely gotten these wrong. Yeah, it's a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. And... But what God brought me to was wisdom is 
more valuable than jewels, nothing could compare with it. She is more precious than rubies and nothing. You desire to compare with her and um, I became very curious about what rubies, how rubies were formed and what did they mean and a website popped up um, and I'm reading about these ruby rocks that have stars on them that th this was actually they were found with stars on them and in the article <laughs> sorry i'm cracking up in the article you can't make this stuff up i mean i guess you could but like it was just so crazy i don't think i could find the article but maybe hopefully i'll find it later um it talked about I, I looked up, I Googled what is the most rare, I think, yeah, that's what it was. Most rare rubies, rarest rubies in the world. And it showed five star rubies. <laughs> and yeah. They're called star rubies. They're the rarest rubies, according to Gernesis. I don't know how to say the word. Uh, most are rare and more valuable than diamonds of a comparable size for hundreds of years. This world's main source of rubies. Basically, if you Google these, it's called star rubies. There's like one, two, three, four. I don't know. Um, I heard God say like, before I even looked up these ruby things that like, you are that ruby. Um, I was already crying, right? And so I looked up like, how valuable are rubies? How are they formed? Um, you know, they're formed, some rubies are formed underneath the ocean with a bunch of pressure. You know, all the storms and trials I'd been through, the death and the my family and, um, other things like <laughs> um, say that broke me down and reading about these star rubies I was like hey that looks like the stars that were almost like the same iridescent feeling that I had gotten from my dream all those years back and um, the basically brought me to who found them <laughs> and was, oh I did find it sorry I know this is like almost two hours I'll probably have to split it up ultra rubies found by modest mountain in North Carolina could fetch 90 million <laughs> um rare star rubies <laughs> discovered outside of Asheville North Carolina nearly 30 years ago this article was written April 9th, 2018, uh, just to give you some stones weighing and collectively at 342 carats are called the Mountain Star Ruby Collection and are considered the finest collection of such stones in the world. Meanwhile, you know, this is just after God told me really special and basically how rare I was to him and how rare I was 
to the people around me and how I radiate like his presence. He was just like filling me with like the most beautiful life fulfilling words that you would want to hear from God himself. Like, and I have tears just, you know, falling down my face and I'm laughing at the same time because I'm just like, okay. Um, and I knew that the red eagle vision or dream had to do with my mom. Um, I don't remember why, but I just knew. I knew. Um, when I looked up one of the meanings, I think it had to do with a motherly figure or something. And I was like, oh, my mom reaching out. Um, or God trying to tell me something like I'm being protected or, you know, whatever it is. And so I I didn't even, wasn't even thinking about the vision or anything. I think it was a couple of weeks later and I gave up on finding out what, you know, I asked God what it meant and didn't find out till. And it says, each pigeon's blood red stone has six radiating lines on its face that refract light in a star shape. One of the four smoky mountain two-star ruby has stars on its front and back faces. Ba-ba. Hold on. Okay. It says, after Messer discovered the stones in 1990, they were examined by leading geological testing labs in the United States and in Europe before an exhibition of one of the stones at the Natural History Museum in London, where a record audience of 150,000 people viewed the ruby over two weeks. This is him talking now. When I found it, there was a red-tailed hawk that soared right over me, Messer told local talk show. North Carolina now in an early 1990s interview as reported by Garden and Gun magazine. I knew it was something special, but I didn't realize how important the stones would be. And, you know, Messer died and the collection returned to his family, uh, which I think I did reach out to them when I figured when all these pieces came together that God had brought, that it was just, it was very, very weird. It was things that I wasn't just drawing conclusions on my own. It was like a surprise of like God really piecing it together. I wasn't piecing it together. It was God like putting the pieces in place for me to see. And I just... I fell to my knees just like worshiping him like I a red-tailed hawk um and so I think I thought it was an eagle but um perhaps it was a hawk um in my dream is what I mean um I called it an eagle um all I know is that when I immediately saw the star ruby pictures I thought of my dream and I also looked up what the red-tailed hawk meant and just like the two stars and how my mom, it was me and my mom and like we were holding hands and it was on a mountain that resembled the same mountain that I had pictured in that first dream and that God would even bring all of this together. It was like, (laughs) whoa, like, whoa, like I had identified myself 
he had identified me as a ruby. And this was like hours of me looking up how rubies are formed and really identifying with a ruby. And um, if you don't know anything about rubies, they form, I, I already said this, but they form under the ocean with a number of pressure, um, like 30 feet below, um, sometimes have to go uh, you know, underwater for it and practice and dig them up. And um, he was speaking to me about like relationships and just, um, um, which I won't get into now, but um, how the rarest rubies are ones with, you know, the more expensive rubies are ones with the more scars, they're called scars, um, more light shine through. And so I kept finding these details. And by the time I landed to this article, I had very much aligned myself with a ruby and feeling like this was what God was speaking to me and knowing that this is what he was speaking to me. Uh, and. And I was just feeling so alone and just because I was so found, <laughs> but feeling so lost when you're found, it's like you're trapped because you know the truth and there's nothing you can do. You can't run because you know the truth and you know him and you love him. And there's it's like uh, how, how possible is it to cope under unbearable amount of pain and pressure and trial and not completely, you know, break open to pieces um, or get scars, you know, or, you know, these things that I really beat myself up over, um, like even self-harm at that point, I was just in so much pain and, um, for a short period of time, like after she died, I like struggled with alcohol for a bit, but um, it kind of ended right when COVID started. So I was lucky because all the bars shut down. <laughs> I didn't wind up dead. Um, God's plan, right? Uh, even little things like I got to have a funeral and my mom got a funeral because it happened so quickly. If it would have happened during COVID, I wouldn't have had this support that I had gotten um, before um, in the midst of even more storms coming after my mom's death, like three or four days later. Um, so I fight with this Ruby basically and how the scars make it the most, you know, the more valuable because the more light that can shine through, how I felt so connected, connected, I felt so connected with the ocean and finding out that some rubies like are formed down below the water and just, he was talking about like, and I'll share that like some other time, but, um, he really spoke to me, gave me a closure that I didn't even know needed to be given, but when it became full circle, quite completely, um, 
with going all the way back to when I was 13 years old with that dream and, you know, these stars imprinted on it and the Red Hawk and this article mentioning all of it and the mountain and it was his way of telling me um, truly like she is with him. Because, I mean, I, you, you never know and it was bothering me um, not knowing if she was saved or not, even though she said she believed like in the hospital. I just, I didn't know. You can never know someone's heart, right? I wanted to believe, but I didn't know she was just saying it because it was my birthday and we're at the hospital, but it felt like she meant it. And it might've been in that moment when she had the Bible alone, when I had to go to work. And I won't ever really know until I ask her or God reveals it completely to me, but it didn't matter as long as she was up there. I felt so all of a sudden and just point at this point when I'm looking at all this stuff, I had already reconciled peace with not knowing. I'm like, okay, God, there's nothing I could do about it now. I gave my all, right? Like I literally gave everything I could to show her and tell her about you sometimes like not effective, but through speech. And like he found me all over again in such a way where I was like this little rock. And now I was like these five $90 million rubies, star rubies put together and how he was comforting me that all the things that I am weak in, um, his strength just like is so much more vivid and seen and that all these things, all these flaws, everything spoken against me from friends and from family and the doubt that they had, like, and then some people, you know, didn't have that doubt and some people did support me, but it just, it was all like a collision of like, no, this is what God says. Like, this is what how God feels. And I would play this game like at the end of like an internship day, just me and God. And I had like a Bible verse, a no, like notepad thing that you take notes on. I would like close my eyes and kind of like just flip it to a certain page. And right as I was leaving, like from this encounter, right? I look at the verse on top of it. There's probably like at least, I mean, at least a thousand verses. This is like a huge, big chunk of notes with pages and pages of a verse on each one. And I pull it out and I'm walking um, to my car, I think. And <laughs> I look and it is the exact verse about rubies that I had shared earlier. It's in those moments that I hold really closely that in the unexplainable, I only wish that I would have had a camera on me for all my life so that you could see these moments. But the closest I can do is tell them and speak them and create art about them and try to live a life worthy of just how amazing, you know, be saved by grace alone and not by my works. You can't be saved by your works, but the process of sanctification, which is becoming like Christ, 
lot of people wouldn't have been able to climb out of without, without God, you know. Without God, I would have been long gone. Um, I would have been long gone without God. But because I had God, I had climbed out of crazy looking holes that nobody in their right mind, if you were to look at my journey, look down at what I climbed out of, you'd be like, that is Mount Everest, sister. How did you do that? Like, by foot, like your insecurities are this high and all the odds are against you. Like, how did you even climb out of that? And that was the point. It was God. I could point and say it was God. It was God. Um, I found no part it was and died to myself every day to live for him and do it when it would make sense to not to give up on him. Um, each time I fire, so to speak, I would just come out more uh, refined and more, you know, rare and wealthy and full of his love and kindness and humility and his power and strength and his gifts. And it was because there was not, it, it was because I was obliterated. <laughs> it was because there was decimation. There was nothing left of me. It was like ashes burned over and over again. Dust turned into ashes. <laughs> I mean, dust turned into clay, turned into ashes, turned into um, a whole new person, the gold dust, right? Like, I don't even know. Um, to then be thrown into like my mom passing away, I'm sure, like, even if I were to gather people from college and, like, tell them, like, interview them, be like, hey, how bad was it for me? Like, can you give me, like, a rating and, like, solidify? Um, I mean, it was like I had every reason and even sometimes very closely came to death and face-planted. Um, I was pushed. Like, it was, it was, I had every reason to fall down. I had every reason not to get up. I had every reason to stay down. Like, I, why would you question? Was every single reason that I could think of that I was justified if I didn't want to be in this world anymore if I, or if I didn't want to get up and worship even when I did not want to or get up and pray and, you know, get up and give and get up and do these things, but Holy Spirit in me and, you know, the people he sent around me and the power that he shined through a lot of the times when I was alone in um, most of the times, actually, which he spoke to me today was people have seen me in college and in after college, right, in the church and situations where I was in agony, like sobbing, like I just, when I would cry and cry and cry and I'd be so frustrated and they would, they couldn't say anything at some points because it was just like, what is there to say? You have every reason to cry right now. Like you have every reason to go off the wall. Like there, there, there's only so much a person can do in a way to not shake after being struck by lightning, you know?
not being burnt after you're struck by lightning, but surviving and walking again. Like some, some things I couldn't control. Some things were actually out of my control. Um, some things I disobeyed that were in my control, but some things I definitely think were out of my control and they were devastating things and reconcile with all of it. It was that I couldn't see me. I knew God was good. I knew God had the power. I just couldn't see how I, in my own, you know, strength could keep obeying him without almost ruining his image. It was a weird, it was a weird situation because I was suffering from so much panic that I couldn't control um, after years of everything. Um, my Christ in me, but I feel, but I felt like, how do I obey him anymore? Like I'm just so, I can't stop having panic attacks. I can't stop crying. I can't stop like, how is this being an image bearer of God? And, you know, it was just so uncomfortable. It was like sticking needles in my eyeball. Like, I just, like, there were times where I, a lot of the times I had to die to myself. They say, like, die to your flesh and, you know, be born again in his spirit, you know, his power. And I didn't fully understand it until season and that I had you know he was powerful in me and that I was covered by his grace and even if leaders or family or friends or you know strangers would like say something that I disagree with that about me that you know God would truth that was in me and that I was living and it didn't matter anymore what anyone had to say that wasn't saying what God was saying because I realized that the only thing that really you can stand on is what God is saying about you and it's helpful when brothers and sisters and leaders are speaking the truth but some of them get mixed guided. Some of their truth is not truth because they're speaking from um, their opinion or uh, they haven't sought God out or that's their reality. That's their perception of what's happened or this, what situation or um, so I really could only find peace when I would seek God out and say, okay, Am I being prideful or is this not the reality? And I would get an answer and really need that confirmation because especially in this weak place, I at least needed, if I'm going to obey you, God, I need to know that I'm doing it. Like, I need to know that I'm giving it my, I need to know I'm on the right track, right? And it can get confusing when you feel like cops that are not a sight, but it's like trust issues to finally letting people in, to letting the right people in, to finally like being around leaders and like 
talking about things that I was curious about, which was sermons, like just didn't want to talk about anything else, didn't want to talk about anything else besides wisdom and Jesus and new revelation. And there was no level up. Like there was only like the level up was like, okay, the pastor is not right people because I can't stop. Like this ministry in me, like I need to, I need more. And, you know, I was running with it. And I think to people in to support me, but also rise some of their views, not all, but some of their views of what my work actually was or what I was actually doing or completing. And it wasn't completion in their eyes or whatever it may be. You know, I was seeking God with everything and I heard him say one thing and then heard another thing from, you know, I'm going to go with God's. <laughs> and it was just, it's discouraging to hear different things, I think, when you're trying to be in his will and his path and respect authority while also become authority as a female, as a young adult, a single um while half of the room doesn't believe that you should even be in there and <laughs> while you're suffering with your mom dead and you know sometimes being gaslit of like um not wanting to give me work because i was you know crying last week so blah 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 i didn't you know like the whole thing was just very strange but it sharpened me because it didn't make me rely on me overnight in way like it ripened like my fruit because I had to stand up in action for something I completely felt opposite with while facing some leaders who I'll just put it bluntly Ugh, I can't even because it's just like it's too complicated to like put out there but um it was a different kind of hard to to walk away from your family and your leaders and your and your you know a lot of growth in it because we'll call a cookie an orange and an orange and it can get very confusing when you're trying to like for yourself and have no back support um be strong enough to walk away in the midst of it i mean we've been stronger in that aspect of things because who you know loves as much as I do, like love so strongly and deeply. It's like, now you want me to get rid of my, like, not get rid of, but like, you want me to step away, God, from this and not speak to them and not do this. And like, who is left, God? And he was just like, me, I'm left. And <laughs> like, okay, uh, yeah, but God, like, he's like, me, it's me, I'm left. And 
Put on your big girl faith pants and fast and pray and there's built you up to a certain level and now I want to take you in another direction to build you higher. Um, or literally closes in your face over and over again. <laughs> he said, I want to bring you through an open door. I want to put, I want to bring you to the place that you have been fighting for when it did not make any sense and when people stood against it, uh, either in their silence or in their speech. That those are the people that you also made like a very important family and connection and has to break again in a different way, but that the will be on that other side of that because all I wanted to do was obey him, right? And I sought and sought and sought his will and he said to walk away. And so I did what he said and he brought me somewhere else and I understand as to a certain level you can grow and then if you have a different calling or a calling that you believe that half, <laughs> like the people that, the only people who can, you know, grow you in that way doesn't believe that you should even be doing that or don't know uh, where they stand on it um, or don't really see your work the way that God has seen it, which is complete and full and that your, you know, vulnerability, tears showing up anyway, even when crying or falling apart is that faith at times, not every day, but like at that level is even a stronger faith, um, which you only really can experience if, you know, you know, you lost your whole family or you watched, you know, your mom die at this age, or you tried walking into a room filled with the women who are older or younger and sitting there and feeling confident and Holy Spirit asking you to speak right in this moment when it doesn't make sense and it's not appropriate to speak till the end. <laughs> like, yet you have Holy Spirit saying, no, I want you to speak now and never being able to kind of cry out loud or speak out loud or and now he wants to, you know, fully showcase that not to them, but it was showcasing it to me because I was standing in the, the, that gap of like, are you gonna do it? Like, are you gonna, are you gonna speak when it, are you gonna follow my authority or are you gonna follow man's authority, literally man's authority, like surrounded by men? Like, are you gonna, are you gonna say it with confidence? And what I mean by that, he said is like, are you gonna say it with your voice shaking, like, are you gonna, because he only wanted me to speak. It was my pride that was embarrassed that I was, my voice was shaking like Moses. Um, or are you gonna shorten what I have to say? You know, the, the whole confidence thing is like, are you gonna shorten it? Or are you gonna just not speak? Or 
Are you gonna fully get it out at the time that I've asked you to? How fast are you gonna obey? Like, how all in are you when you're in pain? How do you take courage and do you complete the things that I asked you to complete? And I showed up every single day and gave my whole heart in completing what he had asked me to complete, what God had asked me to complete. And it wound up being a lot in my opinion, but again, like truth is different in everybody's, um, you know, teachers might not see what the teacher Jesus is saying because they don't really stop and pray or seek where maybe they do and they just get a different hearing of something. In most cases, I just think, even with myself, like we don't pray and speak before um, our own perception is involved. Like we'll speak out of our own perception of truth or work or validation versus what did the God say about it? Um, I felt a bit through so many holes and mountains and climbed and fought tooth, nail, like bloody knees on prayer, silent sobbing screams, us learning how to lean, learning how to give away and have open hands and use the gifts of, you know, knowledge that he was giving me and wisdom and not just keeping it for myself and trying to share it with as many people as I could. Taking um, voice. Down. <laughs> um, yeah. I have for Christ because his power is within me very easy to lay down in bed for the rest of my life and not move but it's like they're like going to war and coming back and doing the mundane but eyes and he you know goes to therapy ptsd training and he has all these skills that he's learned from war he has all these he knows his, you know, he knows how short a day is. He knows how lucky he is to have tomorrow. He knows that death is a minute away from anyone. He knows how important it is to reach people that he loves, especially if he believes in Christ, and to reach as many people that he can um, to be on that mountain with at the end um, because of God's love through me. And, like, it's only because of God's love I realized how ugly the flesh is inside of me and how beautiful God transforming power is within me and how greed can rise up so quickly um, when being patient for a long time and getting frustrated and not seeing but exposed having to expect and having to stand 
Yeah, but basically the end is a lot to share and a vision of sharing through poetry and books and speaking because I am spoken for by Jesus. That no matter what anyone speaks against me or thinks or says behind my back or says to my face or thinks in their head or um, whatever it be, what I, even what I think, right? Our own worst enemies, ourselves. And all that matters is that I'm spoken for by God and God alone and he calls me rare like a ruby he calls me valuable 90 million <laughs> and more and he's my heart for even if the situation doesn't look like it yet when i walk in obedience and away and towards what he has said he will make it known and shown um, whether that be in heaven or I believe here, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, that he's doing it here um, to prove his glory, not mine. And to prove that he can use broken vessels. And I have another story to do with that, but I guess I'll share it quickly and then end. Um, yeah, so my mom loved my singing voice, and I knew I felt called to sing for her funeral. But I was struggling, and my worship leader and the other worship leader showed up, and, you know, the pastor did the sermon, and then it was, like, all over. And I was like, no, I don't, I can't do this. And they were like, it's, it's fine, it's totally fine, like, understand and I kept being, I heard like the screaming of the Holy Spirit. I've never felt that rush like that. Like I felt it once before um, in a cafe when God wanted me to speak to someone uh, about who he was, which wound up being a crazy conversation and she wound up getting saved and I felt it in Barnes and Noble when he wanted me to speak about him. And then, you know, a bunch of girls wound up going to the church. And I even felt it even in the mental institution when I'm surrounded by people who some are violent, some are seeing things, some are hearing things, some are just depressed. Like I was dealing with panic attacks and suicidality because I just couldn't take the my body's response like I knew who I was in Christ it's just like I felt like all the scars that were open wouldn't stop bleeding and that the only way was to get help and at least try medication because my brain had stopped making serotonin and that this was not a case of a regular case of you know depression because you don't know your identity or you don't know why you're here or you have no motivation to live. It's like, I had all of that. I believed that. I struggled a little bit in my identity because I felt so bad that I couldn't escape the feeling of panic 
because I had known in my heart and my head all of it. And it was because he was asking me, are you going to humble yourself and go in despite what it looks like? And eventually he pushed me so, you know, not he pushed me. It's like my body pushed me so much to a point where I had no choice but to go in. And I wound up like speaking about God and my best friend at the time even wound up marrying who she belonged with. And I think I, I told like, there was someone from every, it was like someone from every nation and issue. Like there was someone from who had like a transgender background. There was someone who um, like grew up in the ghetto and like talked about it and just was angry. And she was like a mom and she just threw chairs and was was angry. Um, and then there was like a dad and he just went through a divorce. Like there was all these people with situations that he brought me in a circle of the table and I'm praying for them in a psych ward. <laughs> and there are some days, you know, I stayed in that psych ward for three weeks and not by choice. Um, it was okay to leave probably week two, like in the middle of week two, I would have been fine. Um, my thoughts were fine. Like it, my body had adjusted to the meds. Like I was really okay to go. I was begging to go. Um, but I still had more people to reach in there. Like it was such a playground of you could reach anyone there because they're all searching for answers. And I had them and time where you got to choose what song you wanted to play when it was your day. And of course I played like 21 pilots or there was one time where I turned on the radio, it was Christian radio and the song Broken Vessels came on and just the song special to me because for the funeral, like I had the psych ward and then the funeral came. It wasn't like I went to the psych ward after the funeral, um, before, um, because of panic attacks and the physical stress that it put on me and how it was turning into emotional. It started to affect my thoughts because it just, imagine like someone twisting your arm over and over again and telling you to repeat the ABCs backwards and try to not get upset while you're also chained to a chair, unable to drink enough water. You know, it was just like an impossible situation. It just where some people have a panic attack for what, five minutes, it goes away. It was all day and all night and it would not leave. And the meds that they put me on wound up working right away. Very quickly, I felt like my brain almost needed like that boost because of 